every one of us from one, at one time or another will be impacted by tragedy in our life to some degree. Whether it's illness or infirmity or death or any of a thousand other things that can happen, we all will experience it. We will experience something that is tough to deal with. And whether it's the pain is physical or spiritual, we all will be affected or have been affected. And Jesus tells us that it's supposed to be this way while we're here on this earth. In John chapter 16 and verse 33, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus is telling us that while we're here on this earth, there's going to be problems. There's going to be difficulties that we have to face. Trials that we're going to go through. Job tells us in Job chapter 14 and verse 1, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And then he says in Job chapter 5 and verse 7, Yet man is born unto troubles as the sparks fly upward. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be problems. And I think most of us realize that every day that there's something that can come up that can cause us problems. That can try our faith. And they're, th they're difficult to deal with. And I want you to remember that when tragedy comes our way, our Lord is more than adequate to be able to take care of our situation. He can help us through those difficulties if we will trust Him and allow Him to do so. In our text, as Mo read for us, we're confronted with a man or a father who, whose name is Jairus. And that day he shows up to Jesus. And death had shown up at his house with his 12-year-old daughter. His heart, I'm sure, is broken because of the tragedy. She's still at the, alive at the time he approaches Jesus. But I can't imagine having a child that is so sick that he knows that it's a tragic situation, that, is, that the end is inevitable for her life. And so Jairus found out, that Je or found out that Jesus was enough to deal with this tragedy. Today I want us to look at the events that took place in this passage. And I want us to look very closely at this tragic scene. We've looked at it before, years ago, but I want us to see how Jesus is able to snatch victory out of the jaws of defeat. Here we find a father who, I think what you could say is well known, he's a ruler of the synagogue. And that would mean that this man was a man of prominence. He was a man of position. He was a man of power. He was a man of influence. You might say he had everything going for him. When he spoke, people listened. He had it all. But I want you to think about it. At that particular moment in his life, none of that mattered. He would have traded all of those things that he had, all the, all the power, prestige, whatever possessions he would have had. I'm sure he would have traded everything that he had to not be in a situation that he was in where his daughter was sick and near death. But now he finds himself in that place where none of those things that mattered earlier in the day or even yesterday 
They don't matter at all today. Sickness and death could care less about who this man was, what possessions he had, or what position he holds. And I think that we see that's very true today, don't we? Because the Bible tells us that life, you know, there's going to be troubles. And it tells us that death is going to come. Because the Bible tells us that the point unto man wants to die, but after this is judgment. And we see people that have lots of money that die just like everyone else. We see people that have great possessions and great power and prestige. And they get sick just like everyone else. But I think all of us realize that there's a time that when tragedy comes, we're focused on whatever that tragedy may be. And I guarantee you that Jairus would have traded everything for the power to change his situation. You see, life became very defined for Jairus. He had everything, or so he thought. In reality, what he had in this world meant nothing. You see, death had come to his house. And it had come for his real treasure. His little daughter. And Luke tells us that it was his one only daughter. And she was dying. And she was his real treasure. And I think most of us with children can put ourselves in Jairus' place and ask, how would we feel? What would we be thinking right now if we were in his situation? You see, some people spend their entire lives working on gaining power and having wealth. That's all important. And all of us have experienced that where we think those things are important. But let a problem like this arise in our lives where someone gets sick. And we know that it's a a very serious illness or something awful happens. And guess what? We can forget about all of those possessions on all that wealth and all those uh, that influence that we may have because we're focused on that problem and we realize that none of that other stuff matters you see suffering and sorrow don't care about your popularity death doesn't care if you're a millionaire sickness and sorrow doesn't care if you have power prestige or a position in the community When tragedy and death are calling, you better know one who's greater than yourself. You better know where to go to get the help you need. You see, life will come into crystal clear focus when tragedy comes into our life. And you may think things matter But those things that you think really matter will cease to matter when those things happen. Jairus knew where to go. The question is, do we know where to go? We'll see that Jairus trusted Jesus. The question is, do we trust Jesus? And as I've been talking about quite often lately, are we following the real Jesus or are we following the Jesus that we've made up in our own mind where he, he reflects us as opposed to we reflect him in our lives? 
And I believe that we see that Jairus in his life, he's trusting Jesus. You see, somewhere Jairus had heard about Jesus. And somehow his eyes had been opened and he saw Jesus was his only hope. And many of the Pharisees didn't believe that. They didn't like Jesus. They hated Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted him destroyed. They wanted him out of the picture. But Jairus knew that Jesus was the answer to his problem. And so at that very moment his daughter is dying, Jesus just happens to be passing through. And notice how this man's position and power came before Jesus. How a man of this, power, of this kind of magnitude, a ruler in a synagogue, look how he approaches Jesus. He comes to Jesus reverently. He comes prayerfully and passionately. The Bible tells us that he fell at his feet. This man humbled himself in the presence of Jesus. That's really the secret that we need to learn. And it gets back to the real Jesus. We talked about that this morning a little bit in class where the woman that came in and washed Jesus' feet with her hair or with her tears and dried his feet with her hair and anointed his head, she loved Jesus. And she knew that she was in the presence of holiness. And brethren, when we realize that we're in the presence of Jesus, we're going to realize that we're in the presence of his holiness. And guess what? We need to humble ourselves. And I think that that's the problem sometimes with why we don't follow the correct Jesus. And it's easier to just come up with one that we like because we don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to do what Jesus wants us to do. But that's really the answer that we have to humble ourselves or he's not going to hear us. And maybe that's why it's difficult to follow Jesus when he tells us to deny ourselves. Denying self sometimes is hard to do. But that's what Jesus expects us to do. And then he says, take up your cross. And that doesn't sound like an easy tra uh, trail to, to, to plow. And then we're to follow him. Go where he wants us to go. Do what he wants us to do. Live like he wants us to live. One of the greatest truths in the Bible tells us the way up is really the way down. You've got to go down. You've got to get humble. And that's what we see with Jairus. In James chapter 4, verse 6, <clears throat> the Bible makes it very clear that we need to humble ourselves. But he that giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. How many people will fail to surrender their will to, God, to Christ, to God, because they want to do what they want to do? You can show them in the Bible what it says about how to be saved, but yet they won't humble themselves to do what the Bible says. They would rather come up with their own way. Is that humble? Is that really faith? Because the Bible tells us that faith is based upon the Word of God. And if we're not doing what the Word of God says, how can we logically say that by faith we're doing what we're doing? James chapter 4 and verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 through 6. Likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elders. Yea all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. 
For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It's easy to have that attitude that nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to be my own boss. We live in a free country and I'm going to, you know, I do what I want to do. Now, I think that attitude carries over into our spiritual lives sometimes. That God's not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to tell God what he's going to do. That doesn't work that way. And so when we humble ourselves to God, we submit to his will. And we are blessed when we do that. In fact, we're exalted, not in the world. We're exalted in the sight of God. And that's really what matters. In Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 10, Jesus tells a story there. He said, two men went into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. A Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Do we humble ourselves in the sight of God? Do, our, do we humble ourselves amongst ourselves? Or is pride something that gets in the way? Do we look like this Pharisee, you know, look at me, Lord, and everybody else, look at me, look what all I've done. Look how faithful I am. Look what I've done for the church. What have you done? Jesus is telling us there, don't have that attitude. Because Jesus also tells us in other verses that when we've done all that is our duty to do, that means everything that we're, that's our duty to do, we're still unprofitable servants. So we need to be humble. And Jairus is a humble person. Think about the day of Pentecost. After Peter had preached that sermon, what did they say? They interrupted him and said, men and brethren... What shall we do? That's not pride. They realize the situation that they're in. They realize they crucified Christ. Now they're willing to humble themselves and ask what they need to do in order to be saved. And, G and, and Peter on that day tells them what they need to do. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Might not have said it that fast. I don't know. But the Bible tells us they that gladly received his word were baptized. They humbled themselves. They realized they were lost. And they were willing to submit to the will of God. Does that exalt someone when they do what God tells them to do? It most certainly does. Again, maybe not with the world. Maybe not with our friends. Maybe not even with our family. We're exalted in the sight of God. And that's really what matters. Read verse 23. Let's look at that. It says, And he besought them him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. 
That's a powerful statement that he's making. Because what he's saying there is, I cannot do this thing. I can't fix this problem. But you can. You know how many problems we get caught up in life with that we can't handle? We can't fix it. And the only place that we can turn to is Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us that Jairus had contacted other doctors, physicians. It doesn't tell us that. But I would imagine that he had done everything that he could to try to get his daughter to be well. But he realized it was out of his hands. He said, I can't do this thing. But you can. That is a powerful statement of his faith that he had in Jesus. And whether it be our salvation or the salvation of a loved one or the help that we may need in times of tragedy, Jesus is the answer. God is the answer. And we've got to reach the place where we know that we can't take care of it ourselves. When we're in a lost condition, we can't fix that problem ourselves. We need Jesus. We need his blood that was shed on the cross to cleanse us. I can't buy salvation. I can't become so popular that God says, hey, man, look at him. He needs to be saved. He's saved now because look at all the people that like him. God doesn't say that. The plan of salvation is for everyone. And everyone has to comply equally. He doesn't have a special group over here or a special group over there. Some people have different responsibilities, yes. But we're all saved by the same blood. And that's the blood of Christ. And without that blood, we're lost. There may be some here today that are trying to fight their battles all to themselves with their own power and they keep losing. Maybe it's trying to overcome sin in their life. Personal sin no one knows about, only they know about. They need to talk to Jesus, talk to God about it. And we see in the Bible what it tells us we need to do. And we need to place ourselves in a position of absolute surrender to our Lord. To the place where we're willing to say, I can't do it, Lord. But with your help, I can. When Jairus shares his story with Jesus, Jesus listens. And I think that that's important for us to realize. That while we're down here on this earth struggling, God cares about us. He listens to us. He knows what we're, what we're going through. And that should be a blessing to us because in this situation we see that he listens to what, what the problem is and then he goes home with Jairus. The Bible tells us in various places that our Lord cares about us. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. I always think that that passage of Scripture is amazing. 
that little old me down here in this world that most of the world can ignore. God cares about me. And he cares about you. He loves us all. And he says, I can cast my cares on him. And you can cast your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He loves you. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the great invitation that Jesus extends. He loves us, he cares for us, and he'll help us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with our feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points like or tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the times of need. Our high priest, as a Christian, our high priest is Jesus Christ. He lived on this earth as a human being, and he knows what suffering is about. He knows what it is to go through trials and difficulties. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows all the problems that we have. And so he understands what we go through. And so when we talk to God in prayer, he knows. He knows our feelings. He knows our hurts. So it's not like he's an an individual priest, high priest that's out there that doesn't understand us. He's our high priest that understands us. And loves us because of it. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse, beginning of verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life or what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink. Nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, they, they sow not. Neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubic unto a statue? And why take ye thought of, for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What we shall eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. God cares about us. He takes care of our needs. Jesus is telling us that right there. He takes care of our needs. Do we believe him? Do we trust him? Sometimes we get all worked up about how things are going and they're not going just like we think they should. Do we think about God still cares for us? He's still taking care of us? He's still providing our needs. Not always our wants, but he takes care of our needs. That should give us encouragement. And so Jairus has gone, told Jesus his problem, Jesus says, I'll go with you. He goes to his house. He's headed to his house. And then beginning in verse 25, as they're on their way, we find that there's much people that are following him. 
the throng of people. They're, they're, they're just all over. And in verse 25, it says, And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and has suffered many things of, of many physicians, and has spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. Isn't that a reality sometimes in our world today? You go to the doctor and you spend a lot of money and you still don't feel any better. And that's what happened in her case. Verse 27. And when she heard of Jesus, that heard that Jesus is in the, in the press behind and touched his garment. And she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touchest me? Here they are in this crowd of people. I, I, and I don't know what you picture in your mind, but I picture Jesus, and people are just pressed up against him, that they're trying to get as close as they can. And he asked, Who touched me? Verse 32, and he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what she had done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. That in and of itself is amazing that she can just touch the hem of his garment and be healed. But where's Jairus? Did he get lost here? No, he's still with Jesus. And I would imagine that Jairus would be just like you and I, you know, come on, let's go. Hurry up. What are you waiting on? And I sometimes wonder if this this event is put there to keep in mind keep us in mind that Jairus's faith is strong. Because he knows that Jesus, when he just lays his hand on his daughter, she'll be well. But here's this delay. No doubt, I would imagine that he's a little impatient. And he wants the master to hurry. None of the gospel writers ever record anything that Jairus says during this delay. None of them. He isn't impatiently pulling at the robes of Jesus saying, come on, let's go. He doesn't interrupt Jesus in his dialogue with this poor woman. He merely waits until Jesus is free and continues on with him. And I believe that that's a strong indication of his faith. Because what does that say about Jairus? It says he had put his faith in Jesus. And he left it in Jesus' hands. Sometimes that's our problem. We talk to God. We say we leave it in your hands, God. And then we say, in Jesus' name, amen. 
We end the prayer, we pick up our problem, and we carry it away with us. And we start trying to fix it ourselves all over again. When we already know that we can't fix it, but yet we still want to try to do something about it. And here we see Jairus. There was no uh, indication that he's like, come on, let's go, hurry up, get these people out of here. Stop talking to this woman, let's go, my daughter's sick. You don't see any of that. You don't even hear him say, hurry up, please. Here's a man who came to the place where he knows that he cannot solve the problem and has placed that problem in the hands of Jesus and he's left it there. What a lesson for you and me. Regardless of the issue, when we bring it to God, we need to learn to leave it with him and see what he will do with it. While he's on his way, or while he's dealing with this woman, some people came from his house. And he said, your daughter is dead. What would you do if he was in his place? Why troublest thou the master any farther? But things like, if that crowd hadn't have been so big, it would have gotten to my house sooner. If that woman had not have interrupted Jesus, we wouldn't have been in this situation now. If Jesus had not stopped and talked to that woman, my daughter would still be alive. How many times has a similar word came out of our heart? Sometimes we look back at the times we prayed about a matter and wondered why the Lord tarried, why he allowed it to happen, why didn't he do something sooner we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in. And I'm sure we're not the first, and Jairus wouldn't have been the first, and Job wouldn't have been the first. We've all probably asked questions like that in the past. We know that Mary and Martha asked that question. If you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Sometimes the Lord tarries because he loves us. Now, that's hard to understand. But sometimes that's true. He loves us and so he makes us wait. And so when it seems that God is moving slow, don't give up. Because while God may not do it as quick as we want, and he seldom arrives early, the fact of the matter is God's never late. It's on his time. And of course, we see a delay here that may have cost this little girl her life. So a tragic situation has transformed into something that's impossible, an impossible situation. 
The little girl is no longer sick, but she's dead. And even at this tragic moment, it's interesting to see how faith reacts. Jairus has placed his faith in Jesus. And even in the face of death, his faith doesn't waver. And Jesus gives him some words of encouragement when he says, Be not afraid, only believe. What a word of faith. Jesus is saying to him, Don't believe what you hear. Don't believe what this guy's just told you. And then when Jesus or when they get to the house, they see the mourners there. Don't believe what you know. I mean, the mother, I'm sure, knew the daughter was dead. Those that uh, knew she was dead, they laughed at Jesus when he said she's not dead, she's asleep. They laughed him to scorn. And I'm sure that they knew the difference between alive and dead. And he says, don't believe what you see. Don't believe all those things that you see and hear. Don't believe that. Trust me. That's hard to do, isn't it? That's what faith says. Trust me. Trust God. And every instinct and every indicator would say it's a hopeless situation. But faith looks away to God. Looks for God to do something. And God is greater than anything that we can hear, see, or feel, or touch. And all I'm saying is that we need to bring it to God and leave it in His hands. You trust your needs to God. And you leave those needs with God. And you trust him to do what you know that he can do. Everything about this situation says it's not going to work out. But leave it in God's hands. Leave it in the Lord's hands. And so in verses 37 through 40, we see that when Jesus goes in, they laugh at him. And he puts all those unbelievers, those that have no faith, he puts them out of the room, puts them out of the house. And things haven't really changed. You see, unbelief, when we have unbelief, we don't receive anything from the hand of God. This is what it says in James chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. I hear sometimes, I hear people pray sometimes, and I listen to their prayer, and it sounds like they have a tremendous amount of faith. I hear sometimes they say, Lord, heal this person, help this person to get better. We know that you can do it. And then they walk out of the room and say, that person's going to die. They're gone. Is that faith? We're not praying for a miracle. We're asking God to help in this situation. And he may help with medicine. He may help with doctor. He may work with, or help with surgery. There's a lot of ways that he can help without it being a miracle. But yet, do we have the faith to turn it over to God and allow him to help in that situation and then walk out the door? Is that faith when we say, they're going to die? It's over with. What would you just ask God to do? James says if we lack faith, We're like a a wave driven by the sea. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. 
Now I want you to realize the Lord's promised our, that God would meet our needs. So when I pray for that new uh, uh, Bronco or, you know, F-150 or whatever it may be, well, if you pray for that, you may not get that because that's not really a need. You say, well, it is for me. Well, no, not really. God said he'll provide our clothing, shelter, food, things of that nature. When Jesus enters the room, the dead girl is laying on to something. They took her by the hand. They told her to arise, and she did. How do we know that she was alive? Because she got up. She walked. And she ate. Think about that for a moment, how that relates to us spiritually. How do you know that you're alive in Christ? Because you're walking in the light. And you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Are we doing that? When those in the room seen what happened, the Bible says they were astonished with a great astonishment. They, they were astonished beyond what we'd seen others that were astonished by what Jesus had done. They couldn't believe it. Why? Because they knew this girl was dead. And Jesus had brought her back to life. Some of you may be struggling, going through difficult times. Like Jairus, I would encourage you to trust God. Lay your problem at his feet and allow him to help. Seek the answer through his word because God's word is the answer. It helps us in the times of need. It tells us what our Lord would do, what he would say, and how we can follow him. But sometimes when the going gets tough, we want to give up. And I want to say don't ever give up. Remain faithful. And like Jairus, when he put it in God's hands or the Lord's hands, you don't see that waver. Even when he gets the news that his daughter was dead, he still continued with Jesus. And Jesus took help with the problem. Brethren, God will help us if we will allow him to do so. He cares about us. He cares about you and he cares about me. And someday he's going to come back. And the question is, are we ready for that day? You see, sometimes when tragedy comes, people don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do because they don't know our Savior. And hopefully when we have tragedy in our life, people can see that there's something about us that's different, the way we react, the way we don't feel at a loss because we know that God's there. And so I want to encourage all of us to continue to put our trust and faith in our Lord. I believe that this is a good example of someone who did that very thing. We may not see someone rise from the dead because miracles have ceased. But we do know what God will give us when we search his word and we understand what it is that he'll provide for us. He cares about us and he watches over us. In fact, he cares about us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross 
so that you and I could have hope of eternal life. So we could have the forgiveness of sins, have those sins blotted out and remembered against us no more. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian, what are you waiting on? You know, I was thinking about this the other day. It's really kind of related to the sermon. But you got so many people that are all worried about this virus. And they'll stay home and they don't want to go anywhere or do anything. But they think nothing about it when they haven't even been baptized into Christ. Or they're living a wicked life. They don't think anything about their relationship with God. Which one's more frightful? Falling into the hands of, an un, of God unprepared? Or getting a virus? I know which one sounds more frightening. Now, I don't want to get the virus, and I don't want anybody else to get the virus. But I do know that every single one of us is going to stand before God and give an account of our life. Because it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. The question is, are you ready for that judgment? Do you live your life following the real Jesus? Or are you following something that you've conjured up in your own mind? This morning, if you're not a Christian, make that commitment to become one. Be faithful to our Lord. You can come and have a seat up here on the front row. If you have a need, we'll help you in any way that we can. You have the opportunity as we stand and sing.